We should just get started with this episode of The Women Your Mother Warns You About, brought to you by Sales Gravy. I'm Gina Tremarco, Master Sales Trainer and Coach at Sales Gravy, with my cheeky co-host, Susanna Gray-Jones. I just like saying the word cheeky. You do. You keep calling me cheeky. I like it. I like it. You're a little cheeky. Yeah. Yeah. And saucy. And saucy. Okay. Let's talk about this for a second because your saucy is my sassy because I really, truly believed you were saying the American sassy. Well, you are saying sassy, but it sounds like saucy to me. As in like, as in sauce that we put on pasta. So after our last podcast, I actually looked online to see what the difference is between sassy and saucy. And me being English thought they were the same. I just thought you Americans had a really cool like accent. So you were saying, hey, it's so sassy when I'm saying saucy. But they are actually different. So according to this online, okay, so it says saucy is a smart remark. Sassy is attitude. So you can be teaching a class something and a student will correct you. He's being saucy. So, but if I call your sister annoying and she goes, I know you are, but what am I? She's being sassy. So there we are. Now we know. Now we know. Inquiring minds wanted to know the different difference between saucy and sassy, and we are a little bit of both. Absolutely, absolutely. So I understand that today you've got some questions for me. I do. I have some questions for you based on what some of our listeners have shown some interest in. Oh boy, I am interested in. <laughs> okay, so. But those people who listen to our podcast who don't realize, Gina and I have done some co-coaching together. And I've been a witness to someone saying to Gina, you're so confident. You just seem so interested. I want to be more like you. And then Gina's answer has been, well, no, actually what you're saying is you want to be more like you. And I want to explore that a bit because I genuinely think having a little daughter who's about three years old, and all she wants to do is be a princess, as they do. I'm really interested in this whole self-discovery thing, which has been a bit of a journey for me, but seems to come very naturally to you. So my question for you is, how did Gina become comfortable being Gina? And what advice do you have to other people to feel more comfortable in themselves? So this is a interview. This is a interview Gina show. <laughs> I'm I'm okay with that. I'm good with that. It does come up a lot, that question or that comment. And when Susanna's talking about his co-coaching, I oversee the coaching program at Sales Gravy. And so part of that is me helping other coaches get onboarded and onboarded in our way of coaching. And so that's what she's talking about with the co-coaching. But this has come up several times where people reach out to me directly and say, hey, I want to coach with you. What does that look like? You're so confident. And when I'm asking things like, what do you want to get out of this coaching? And that comes up a lot. Confidence is an issue that comes up so often with salespeople in our coaching, in our training, um, in general. And 
where did I get it from? It's a really good question. I think where I think it's a combination. I think it's a combination of how I was raised and a combination of that with being open to learning, but more specifically being open to failing. And then you add the third part of that component would be probably my improv and performance background. I think it is a recipe of all of that. So mm. you want me to you want me to dive in to that, kind of unpack that a little bit? I'm keen to know, was there ever a point where a sort of turning point, did you ever go into situations and feel, I don't know who I am. I'm lost. I need oh. to feel some sense of reassurance. <laughs> my God. Oh. My whole life. I think that's a I think that's a natural thing. I think we all feel that way and some of us wear it differently so would you say in an element you're always on stage oh yeah yeah I'm always on stage and there's a side of me I think that and some people will be surprised by this there's a side of me that people don't know that I don't show and it's not about not being authentic about it but there are things about myself that I don't show and I do believe that we are always on stage. People are always watching us, even when we're not aware that they're watching us, they're watching us. And so there's a, you know, I think I carry myself with this attitude of someone's always watching, but sometimes I forget because I'm human. Sometimes I forget that people are watching and I screw up and I make mistakes. And a part of that is owning up to it when it's brought to your attention, especially. And sometimes you make mistakes and don't know it. And it mm. gets brought to your attention. <laughs> blind spots. I like to think of that as your blind spot. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to own that too. So yeah, I'm, I, I believe I'm always on stage and people look up to us for different reasons. And I don't know when I probably figured that out in the last maybe 10 years. It, it, it really hit me that people are always watching no matter what level of success you're at or failure, somebody's watching you. Somebody's looking up to you or somebody's looking down on yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I spent quite a lot of time getting ready in the morning. And I remember my sister saying to me once, stop caring about what other people think. Just go out and be yourself. Don't spend ages on your makeup. And I used to joke, well, you never know. I might meet Prince William. I'm, I'm in London. I might meet, meet Prince William. I might be the next uh, queen. Didn't happen. But anyway, I thought it could. And ultimately, you never know who you're going to meet. This morning, I'm in a coffee shop and somebody calls me and says, I want to work with your company. Where are you? And I'm like, I'm 10 minutes away. He's like, come to my office now. So I got into the car, went to his office. Luckily, I looked presentable. You can just never anticipate any kind of situation, can you? But I think coming back, I thought what, what you said was really interesting. You said over the last 10 years, you started to feel more comfortable in yourself. Were there any kind of inner truths that you had to kind of confront to get to that point? Yeah, I think the thing that comes to mind like as a trigger for me of like when that started to gel is someone gave me this piece of advice. I think of her as my surrogate mom. Her name is Mary Lou. And yeah, I'm from a big city. I'm from Chicago. And I relocated to a small town in the South. I don't want to say small. It's kind of small. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Me the median population is 30,000. 
or 35,000 and the county population is probably half a million. So that's small in comparison to a city like Chicago and small enough that everything is like six degrees of Gina Tremarco. Like everybody seems to know everybody in some way, shape or form. So there's a lot of, how do I say this? There can be pettiness and conversations behind your back, people talking about you. Um, You're always going to have that, but it's more noticeable in a smaller ecosystem, right? So there was someone who was just talking smack about me and it really hurt me and affected me because it was someone I actually looked up to as a role model. And it was someone I had gone to advice for living in this new community. And she ended up just smack talking me a lot. And it really hurt my feelings. And I'm super sensitive. And I don't think there that's another thing I think a lot of people don't realize how extremely sensitive I am. And uh, so Mary Lou said to me, it is none of your business what other people think about you. Mm. And I had to just sit in that. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, what do you mean? It's it's none of your business. It's not your place to be thinking about it, wondering about it, dealing with it. It's not, that's their opinion. That's their perception. That's their right to feel that way. And it's not your place to question it. That's them. That's on them. And so that was like probably the first step for me in putting myself in that mindset constantly. Now, this is not like a, oh my gosh, that solved that problem. I still suffer with worrying about what people think. Like it's just, it's just, I think, natural and human, but you have to switch your mindset and be like, you know what, that's on them. That's their perception. That's fine. And I think that's really come to serve me when it comes to business and sales Mm -hmm. and ideal clients, right? Like I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I'm just not. And that's okay. Yeah. And I think that's really important because we do put ourselves out there as salespeople. And we're aware about the reptile brain. We're aware that being rejected is not nice. But I think once you get over that and you recognize it, you can really start to pick that up. What would you say to salespeople who are struggling with that sense of self? And that we had one listener saying that she sat in an office every day and she really struggles just to have that confidence to fail in front of other people. I have a couple things to say about this. And this reminds me to transcribe this episode because these are the things that probably should go in the book that I probably should finish. There's a couple things. One thing that I've coached people on over the years, especially women entrepreneurs, because my coaching started with women entrepreneurs, women business Mm -hmm. owners. The quickest way to get to confidence is trying things and failing and getting up again and doing it again and doing it again and doing it again. That would be number one. Number two, be open to, to listening to what people have to say to you that's positive, right? When someone gives us a compliment, And I think we struggle with this as women more than men do. And I'm not trying to make it a man-woman thing, but this is my opinion. We get a compliment and we're like, oh, like when someone's like, you look good today. Oh, no, I know that. No, I just wrote that. We have a hard time of accepting the compliment and just saying, thank you. Now, 
tangent on this, I remember this as a child, which I forgot to mention the whole childlike mindset of confidence. I remember as a child, one of my cousins saying to me, you've got the prettiest eyelashes. Now I've got really long eyelashes, but as a child, obviously they were super long. And I'm, and I said, I know as precocious as Bob, like, I know. And interestingly, I got to remember this story because this is so much about childlike. That adult said to me, you shouldn't say that. You should just say thank you. I was like, it was squashing me going, I believe in myself that yes, I do have pretty eyelashes, but I was like being told, I was being schooled. Don't be that way. Be proper and say thank you. Yeah. So that's a fine line to balance of like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. With thank you. Blending those two and then completely getting away from, oh, no, no, that's not true. That's very English. We're very self-effacing. Yeah. So those, yeah, those would be two things. You've got to put yourself out there and try and be vulnerable and be willing to make mistakes because someone is actually looking to you to do that. And you are actually inspiring someone else without knowing it. So if you have this attitude of like, I'm failing for the purpose of other people succeeding. Ooh, I just came up with that. I'm failing for the purpose of other people succeeding. Something happened last week and I write that one down so I remember it. I Something happened last week that was a repetitive situation that I'm dealing with at work and that was frustrating me. And I put in it in an email of like, here's what's going on with this situation. I was getting everybody up to speed on it. It's something called technology. Mm-hmm. And, and I signed it, your favorite big mouth. And so one of our colleagues messaged me b- back with like, hey, big mouth. And I, I owned it because I'm often the squeaky wheel troublemaker sometimes. I think I'm perceived that way. Let me put it that way. Because I voice my opinion and my thought or I share information that others are afraid to share. Mm. Does that make sense? Where I'm like, Wait, why is not everybody sharing this information that this is something that needs to be fixed or taken care of or improved? I'm not the only out. You speak out. I speak out because I don't have bad intentions ever. I always have good intentions to move things forward, to make things better. And the only way you can do that is sometimes to speak out because if you're too afraid to speak out, change isn't going to happen. Exactly. And I think sometimes it's like in school, the kid who puts their hand up the most to say that there's a problem is often seen as the problem kid. Yeah. Were you the problem kid at school? (laughs) Hell yeah. Yeah. I was that kid that there's a meme on this on social media. I was that kid who on every report card or every parent teacher conference, it's like, Gina's very smart, but she talks a lot. I was that kid, right? I was that kid at the at the back of the room. So I think there's a piece of that that I, I do believe is genetic, mm. especially all the research that I, I've done recently on creativity and the fact that children are, are born geniuses. And by age five, they're 98% genius. But by age, by age 15, they're 12% creative genius. And so much comes from 
our our childhood, I think. And it, it's interesting what you're saying about you that that was there when you were very young. Mm-hmm. And do you feel that you said in the last ten years you've changed a lot? But do you feel like there was always a bit of Gina that you say loudmouth, but had <laughs> a lot to say? <laughs> well, yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. That that see that Gina was always there, and I think yeah. as an adult being seen maybe as a loudmouth or as a rebel rouser or someone who stirs the pot. I know I'm using all these different idioms that maybe will not translate overseas, but I think part of that comes from the fact that I have been able to hold on to some childlike ways. And I'm saying childlike, not childish. I want to be really clear. And this comes from, this came to my attention at about age 19 or 20 when I was studying at Second City in Chicago in improv and going to college simultaneously. I was the youngest one in my improv classes. And my one of my teachers had said to me, you are so childlike on stage. Never lose that. Interesting. And I think because... I think being the youngest one in the class, right, we do know from studies that the younger you are, the more creative you are, the more playful you are, the more open you are to imagination and failing, right? The younger you are, the better you are at that. So I think that's what he meant is that I got on stage and I had no inhibition, right? I just tried things. I did things at that age as well, being kind of like the young vampy girl who was much thinner at that time too. I still find myself sexy, but I was like, I was the girl that they would cast into like the bimbo role for everything. Like, let's put her in the the trampy vampy bimbo girl. And in the beginning, it would irritate me. I'm like, can they not see past this? And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to embrace the role. And so what would end up happening is that my little tiny role, for anybody who's been in theater, understand, my little tiny role would end up upstaging everybody because I would play that role as big and bad as I could where it became center of attention. I'm like, nobody put the baby to it. Huh? Yeah, Yeah, don't put baby in the corner. Right. And I continued that theater's always been in my blood on the side as a side hustle or a side. Well, I know I owned a theater for 12 years too, but I just learned to, if someone's not going to recognize my fullest potential, only I can do that. Yeah. And that's so true. I, one thing that I always think is we have a sense of self who we want to be. So for me, I like to be a kind and compassionate person, mm-hmm. but I also want to be popular. Okay. I, I think a lot of us want to be popular. Yeah. And part of being popular sometimes. Popular. Oh, sorry. Popular. You don't be popular. But part of being popular sometimes means doing things that you think people want you to do to be liked, opposed to who you actually are. And that's something I struggled with myself. I grew up with having strong dyslexia and dyspraxia and I was this blonde girl who would be quite clumsy. And they used to compare me to legally blonde. The girl who would always be tripping over and mm-hmm. saying really dumb things, the first thing in my head. And I remember because I got into Cambridge University and a girl turned to me and she said, Suze, what are you doing here? And I was like, I go here in their <laughs> blonde way. And she just didn't believe me because I was the kid who struggled with 
learning disabilities and things like that. But what she didn't understand, I also had to try that bit harder to do well at school. I had to, people saw me struggling, but actually I was working a lot harder than they were. I was like that duck just paddling. Yeah. Yeah. And I think at some point I used to hide and just not tell anyone that I had this learning disability. And one point I just thought, thought, do you know what? I'm just going to tell people. And it made me so much more confident in myself. I didn't feel I had to fit into this box that everyone else has to. And I've noticed that about you a lot since I've known you. You expose your vulnerabilities. Even in even when it comes to pitches and presentations, you're very open. And that makes people relate to you a lot more. You're, you expose yourself in, in ways that maybe other people don't. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's fair? 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think that's why you have been successful? Because you've got peace with, has there been any part of you that's thought, you know what, I actually don't like who I am right now and I want to be more like someone else? No. No. I never feel like I want to be like somebody else. I always feel like I want to be a better version of me. And how do you know what a better version of you looks like? Well, I don't think we're ever the best. I just don't. I mean, maybe that's a bad thing. It's sort of like mastery. Can we ever really truly master anything? We know it takes 10,000 hours to master something. But are we ever, have we ever fully mastered or been fully the best? Because if you get to that point of full mastery or, or being the best, you have nothing else to aspire for. So I, I just think that we can always be a better version of ourselves. So there's definitely things that I wish I was better at mm. that I'm constantly saying, all right, let's try to get better at that. Yes. And I think a lot of it comes down to forgiving ourselves as well, because we always, we talk about the reptile brain, we react in ways that we're not proud of. We can always think of, okay, I might've had a bit to drink that night and said something I shouldn't have said. <laughs> We've all been there. Uh-huh. And a lot of people get really angry with themselves or that guy who broke up with them and they think, oh man, you know what? I'm so embarrassing. Why did I text him? Why did I act like that? Sometimes it's just having peace that we are human. We are going to fail. And there are always going to be people who dislike you no matter how hard you try. So that always the less authentic you'll be. So always. And, and this is also a leadership thing I've seen over the years, having been a leader managing teams probably had to manage at the most, but 50 people. And I learned this early on, like in my management career, that people are not going to like me no matter what, right? And that's, I think, a struggle for leaders, right? You're trying to do all the right things, especially if you have some level of empathy in you, which you need to be emotionally intelligent. Even the most emotional, intelligent, empathetic leader struggles because someone is going to criticize someone is not going to be happy with it. And you have to build up this veneer and resilience that I cannot please everybody. And there is a, even as trainers, right? Like trainers and coaches, even as salespeople, not like I said earlier, and you're not everybody's cup of tea. Like someone might like like my training and someone might not. Mm -hmm. Someone might prefer you as a coach over me as a coach. Because there's just something about me that might not resonate or something about you that might not resonate. And you're just never, ever going to please people, I don't think, 100%. So I I think we have to constantly be in the mindset of perfecting 
who we are and what we do to be kind of in that winner mindset, which makes you an ultimate, an ultra performer in anything that you're doing and be willing, see failure as an opportunity to like find other solutions, create new things. Like sometimes I fail on purpose. Like sometimes I try things because I just want to see if it's possible. Mm. Knowing there's a good chance that it's not. So one thing I've noticed about you is, she's probably going to take this out of the recording now because we're getting <laughs> deep here. Here we go. You, you're very conscious about impressing your leader, your manager. That's something that's very inbuilt in you. You want to, you're, would you say you're a people pleaser? Um, I'm definitely a people. This now. No, I'm definitely a, a people pleaser, but I think there's actually something deeper about it. And the reason why I, I say that is because I'm a huge advocate and fan of therapy. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, we all could use it and to be better. Like, how do we like I'm always digging in of like, where are my weaknesses? Why do I behave the way I do in certain situations? Like I'm huge into triggers. What are your triggers that cause you to do things? And the one thing that I've learned over the years is that I'm very much a daddy's girl. So you mm-hmm. could call it like daddy issues or whatever you want to call it. But the way I was raised, which made me a high achiever, is that my dad gave me a lot of freedom to do things and to try things, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of interesting because he was so old fashioned Italian, which is just weird because he, when I said I wanted to go to college, he said, why? You're just going to get married and have children. And I'm like, what if I marry a loser? And he's like, good point. I don't even know why I would think that way at at that age, but I did. The point is that my dad gave me a lot of freedom to try things and to do things. He had me working in flea markets at age 10. He supported me trying everything and anything I wanted to try. And he rewarded me with, he rewarded me with freedom Mm -hmm. to do what I wanted to do and to be what I wanted to be. So the better my grades, the more freedom. You've given Uh, a lot of praise. Not directly, right? Not directly. I just know that when he was pleased, he would, (laughs) he's kind of, it's so funny. I found, I really learned how much my dad uh, adored me, so to speak, after he died. Like, because his friends would tell me things and his friends would be like, oh, how's that internship at ABC? And how's this and how's that? And I'm like, how did they know all of this? And apparently he talked about me a lot. He didn't necessarily directly praise me. So what I've learned is I don't need direct praise because I didn't get direct praise. I just got freedom to be and freedom to do. And on the occasional, occasionally you would hear him brag about me and brag about me over my brother, which created all kinds of tension in that family world. But he he kind of put me on a pedestal. Really? Yeah. Like Gina could do no wrong kind of pedestal. Not direct praise, but again, a lot of freedom. And it came back indirectly, right? Other mm-hmm. people would tell me the things he said about me. If that makes sense. I mean, that the praise would come indirectly. So I didn't necessarily need I guess that shaped me from childhood that as a person, I don't need direct praise. 
I understand. Yeah. Right. I don't need direct praise. I, but I need you to trust me that I'm going to, I'm going to achieve and make you happy. Mm. So one thing that I think makes you stand out as a salesperson, having observed you is you were extremely disciplined, extremely disciplined. And a lot of, (laughs) am I? Do you tell? Because I don't think so, but go on. I think you're on on track for President's Club here at Sales Gravy. And I think one thing that you often say is I'm very busy. You're working very hard. And a lot of listeners in the UK who I've been speaking to have been speaking about the challenge of working from home, motivating yourself. And Gina Tramarco is a motivated person. Is that true? Would you say? And what keeps you working hard? What keeps you disciplined? Because you, you're not micromanaged here at Sales Gravy. You make your own money. You can do as little or as much as you want. What's Gina's motivator? I got a couple motivators. I, I don't think, I don't think there's any one motivator. I, I think you have to have a combination of intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. I like money. That's a motivator. I like money because I like to take care of myself, support myself. It's always been who I am. It's in my DNA. It's part of me. It's how I was raised. So that's a motivator. I'm on my own, right? Like out of a divorce, it's been a little over a year that I've been divorced. There is something scary about that when you're getting out of a marriage because you're in a marriage and sometimes you feel like there's a a comfort Mm. or a, a net that you have together with someone. Not true, by the way, in all cases. So I think I'm motivated by being able to support myself, take care of myself, uh, but also be able to take care of the people in my life that are important to me. And then I'm motivated uh, intrinsically by competing with myself. Like I, com- I love to compete with myself to see if I can do something like let me see if I could close that deal. Let me see if I could go after that. Let me see if I can create this as a solution. I was messaging you over the weekend about some ideas I have for our coaching program. I'm like, let me just try this idea. So I'm motivated by the win, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. And do you have like daily habits that you stick to like rituals? I do. I do have a couple of them. Sometimes they get a little bit out of whack and they're not perfectly consistent. But a couple of my rituals have been when I get up in the morning, I I, I journal a little bit, right? So let's mm-hmm. I journal a little bit, meaning I write down things I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm. I write down things I did well the day before. And I write down things that I want, things that I desire, my goals. So it's like, it's a, it's called the Trinity. So it's three gratitudes, three props, so to say, prop yourself up, and then three desires, right? So I write those three things down every day. And that gives me perspective on when I may be feeling down about something. I'm like, all right, just be grateful for this piece of it. And it helps me turn things around because we know, we teach us at Sales Gravy, the negativity bias. Like we just, as humans, we're wired to go negative and we just go there. And so the gratitudes and the props help me get out of negativity. Yes. And I think that's why what we're talking about is so important, like knowing yourself. And that mindset, if you don't know your stuff, you're not going to know how to change your mindset. You're not going to face the truth. Yes. 
and you're not going to be able to explore them. And sometimes the truth is ugly. I had to admit the dyspraxia. I had to admit the dyslexia before I could move on from that in the same way that my boyfriend, my husband even, he's my husband now, um, on our first date, he said to me, oh, he mentioned something because he's got scarring on his face because he's had acne scars. And he mentioned something about it and brought it to the surface. And that kind of got over that kind of awkwardness of it, if that makes sense. So Mm -hmm. sometimes we just expose them and they're on the table and we feel a lot better about it. Yeah. But we're getting very deep and personal now. I've actually, I've got a really curious question for you. So I am guest or auditioning co-host on your awesome podcast. I want to know why is Gina a woman that my mother warned me about? Wow. Okay. I've never been asked. I don't think you've ever asked this question. I think our listeners need to know. (laughs) Why is Gina a woman your mother warns you about? I think because I go against the grain of what we think we should be. Right. We've, Mm -hmm. we have been raised and conditioned and probably more so from an English perspective of how to be proper, how to do what's expected of us, how to actually how to stay in status quo, do what everybody else is doing. Don't shake things up. Don't rattle things. Just be quiet. Do the things that are expected. And that's just never been me. Mm. And I think it's because I had a father who encouraged me to be precocious. And interestingly enough, my mother was completely the opposite of that. So I had a horrible relationship with my mother who hated that about me. But my father loved that about me. Yeah. So a woman, your what makes me a woman your mother warns you about is that I I do things that I want the way I want to do them. I do things outside of the box. I do things that might stir people up a little bit, sometimes on purpose, <laughs> and sometimes completely accidental. Watch out! Watch <laughs> out! <laughs> sometimes intimidated by you. <laughs> What's that? You think you're intimidating? Uh, yes. I've been told that. So I've had to embrace that because when I first heard that, it bothered me and upset me because I was like, no, I want everybody to love me. (laughs) But that's how people perceive you. That's their perception. That goes back to that's their perception. And it's none of my business. That's their perception. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not coachable on how to be a little bit better. Meaning this came up early on with sales gravy, one of our colleagues had said something to me about my emails being kind of short and curt. And I'm like, well, they're just, they're, it's direct and to the point. It's email. Like I don't have time to send you a fluffy lovey dovey email. Mm-hmm. Like, e- like this is for, and I believe email is for like quick communications. Sometimes you have to put some additional stuff in there, but I can be warm and fuzzy in a conversation. I get that 100%. And you are quite quick and straight to the point in your emails and your messages. And I've been accused of that as well. And I think it can be the danger of email. And that's why I always say to people, just pick up the phone. Just pick up the phone. Oh, oh, 100%. There are are many things that need conversation and should never happen in an email. And people still do that. And again, get to the point in that kind of communication because people are busy. But, But going back to the intimidating piece of it. I, I want to elaborate a little bit on that too, because I think when we intimidate someone, that's their problem, not ours. 
Hmm. Why are you intimidated? Especially if I didn't do anything intentional, right? Sometimes the word intimidation can uh, be perceived as bullying along those lines, right? Like, I'm not in- trying to intimidate you. We are, we own our emotions. We own our feelings. So nobody can make you feel anything. You, nobody can make you feel intimidated. Nobody can make you feel happy. Nobody can make you feel sad. Even with my significant other, I, back in the day, I might've said, oh, you make me so happy. But no, right? Like I've actually re recalibrated that. I'm like, you do things that make me happy. Yes. Yes. No, I love that. I feel happy when you do those things. Mm-hmm. A good or bad. I feel this. I feel sad when you do that because, oh my gosh, I'm going into like framework, right? This is like ingrained, yeah. right? I feel this way when you do that because, right? And a lot of times I own up and go, because I've got this trigger, because that reminds me of something in my past. It's not you. It's my problem. I just said this to him last week. I'm like, it's my problem. I just need you to know I'm struggling through this issue right now. You need to be aware of it, but it's my problem to solve. Yes. You're taking ownership of your reactions, basically. Yeah. You're not putting it on that other person. Yeah. So if you're intimidated by me, shame on you. Yeah. Well, I'm not intimidated by you. (laughs) I think, I think if people were to look at us, I, I once, I won't go into the whole story, but I once auditioned to go on The Apprentice. Do you guys have The Apprentice in the match? Oh my gosh. Yes. So I got through to the final 60, which was great. I was a bit younger than what I am now, probably about seven years ago. And they got me on camera and they said, okay, Susanna. What's different about you? And I said, I think of a song in every kind of situation. And they said, okay, so what song are you thinking now? And I thought, what do they want to hear? So I started dancing and singing, I'm a survivor, I'm going to make it. And the guy literally looked at me like, no. And I knew I'd completely, (laughs) because I was trying to be on show, I was trying to do what I thought they wanted me to do. And Uh, it it was an epic fail. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad I didn't get on the program anyway. No offense to anyone who's on the program, but essentially it wasn't my, it wasn't my path. But I think, yeah, it's a great example of when we are trying to be something that we're not. And we all do it sometimes when we're in situations that we're uncomfortable of. But they said, they described me as an angelic assassin. And I think when people look at me, they see, oh, she looks very sweet. She's very English. She's very proper. But there's a cutting edge. Whereas I think when they see Gina, they see more of a feisty being. And that's not a bad thing. There's part of me that that wishes that I I was seen as more feisty and it wasn't just in here. But, you know, we see people how we see people, don't we? And I'm happy being an angelic assassin if that's what what they name me. (laughs) But sometimes sometimes it doesn't serve me to be the feisty looking one. Sometimes it's a struggle and it's slightly irritating because... At any moment, I could change that and be like, all right, Gina, be proper. Don't be feisty. Be status quo. Be quiet. Like, I could do that. Mm. But I I think people would see through it. And I would eventually struggle. And I'll I'll tell this one last story because it's time for us to wrap up. Because, of course, I have to go on a sales call. And several years ago, I'm trying to, I'm trying, I'm not sure if we were married or I was just with my ex-husband. I was with him for 19 years total. 
Well, 18, because I had to, I had to separate. Fine. Yeah. I, we have to, in order to get divorced in South Carolina, it's a long process. So he had insecurities and I think intimidation, was intimidated in somewhere. It's just insecurities. I know I'm actually putting this out on air, but he doesn't listen to the show. He had said he would get really irritated with me in a small community where I owned an improv comedy theater and people knew me and I was very, and still am very involved in the community. So I'm known. My best friend jokes about this. Like he has stickers made that say, I know Gina. He's now made new stickers that say Gina knows me. Like it's just silly. But my husband would get so irritated when people would come up to me in public places and be like, oh my God, Gina, Gina. like no matter where we go, people know me somewhere. And it would drive him crazy. And he would say, and he owns, and he owns a business too. We're both business owners in the community. And he'd say, and he'd roll his eyes and he'd say, can you stop talking about yourself all the time? And I'm like, and I took it, I took a step back of like, am I doing that? And somebody else in our lives made, supported his comment on that, which really upset me. And because I said, well, what is your advice and suggestions? I'm coachable. I'm like, people come up to me and go, hey, Gina, they recognize me. They start asking me questions like, what's going on with the theater? And at least I'm present on social media. I'm like, what do you want me to say? What should I do in that situation? I'm not walking into a room and being like, hey. Um, like I'm not doing that. And and people have told yeah. me this over, like I hear it all the time. You have a presence when you show up. You walk in the room and you have a presence without even speaking. Right? There are people that have that. I'm not making a stink. I just walk in and people show up next to me wanting to talk to me. So he said, "Well, you could change the conversation and reroute it to me and start talking about me and saying Oh, do you know my husband, so-and-so, who owns such-and-such? Did you introduce him? Did you say, oh, this is my husband? Or uh, Usually, but like if someone comes up to you and you're in a conversation, you're not going to be like, oh, yeah, hi, here's my husband. Like, like you have yes. to transition organically into that, right? Like, I, yes. I know how to do this. It's called networking, right? So I said, okay. All right. I hear you. And being a more traditional, a little more conservative, another thing that would surprise people person, especially in a relationship, I'm like, if that is going to make my husband happy, that's what I'm going to do. So I started switching to that concept of someone coming up to me, knowing me, da 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 da. And I'd be like, oh, and I did that thing I didn't want to do of like, oh, yeah, hey, do you, my husband? And I would just go into that every single time. And put him in the spotlight, pull myself back and shut up like a demure little girl. Yes. And it Interesting. was painful. Not because I needed the spotlight. I felt like I was being so fake. Have you ever seen the film The Holiday? I don't think so. So the guy says to Kate Winslet at one point, he says, you're being the girl's best friend, but you need to start being the leading lady. I feel like maybe your ex-husband thought that he was a leading, the leading actor and he didn't want to be the best friend in that scenario. Yeah. 
So maybe that was where there was a conflict. I don't know. I don't know anything about your relationship, but maybe that was where there was a, a conflict in characters. Well, the well, yeah. Supporting act. So the point is, the point to that is, you cannot try to be someone you're not to make someone else happy because of their own insecurities. You, you can't. And so that's why it's so important to be aligned with a person who supports you exactly as you are or buys into you exactly as you are, whether this is personal or professional. This is why it's so important to be aligned with who's the right client for you and who's the right vendor, right? This is why it's so important to be aligned with who is the right of a significant other for you. There's got to be that alignment yes. of unconditional love and likability. Absolutely. You've got to love yourself before you fall in love, but you've got to love yourself before you close that deal. I've got one final question for okay. you. If someone was to play Gina Tramarco in a film, who would it be? I've got, I've had this question before and it's the same answer because I don't think I have a new answer and it would be probably Marissa Tomei. Interesting. Why? Mm -hmm. I don't know. The Italian features, I've, some of her past characters maybe I resonate with. Although recently someone posted a video of, because I'm in a show right now and, and in rehearsals for a show, somebody recently posted a video, actually my co-director posted a video of Sophia Loren dancing. I, I have to repost it. And the commentary was like, this was Gina Tremarco last night at rehearsal, running rehearsal. Of like, because like I've never seen Sophia Loren in that scenario where she's like literally shimming her shoulders all around the room. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that is so me. So me. So if Sophia Loren could play me, that would be another, maybe her. Yeah. Love it. Love it. I can't wait. When's the movie out? Gina Tramarca, the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to ask my agent and get, and get back to you. I hope this answered some of your questions. It did. Do you know what? Have you ever been in this situation before on a podcast where someone's actually been asking you questions? Because I think it's interesting. We see a soft aside to Gina today and mm -hmm. it's very fascinating. I, I often notice you try and glaze over questions when I fire them back at you. So I was determined on this episode to get a bit into the history of Gina Tramarco. Well, do you... Your mother warned you about. <laughs> do you feel good about what you got? I've got more to get out of you, but we've got more time. So another episode, another episode. Well, maybe another episode and maybe we'll dig into more about you on the next episode. That's what I'm thinking. Sassy and classy. Sassy and classy. Hey, Warners, we got to get out of here because I've got a sales call to be on. And I'm sure Susanna does too. So thank you, Susanna, for this gentle interrogation. No to learn more about me, to learn more about our show, go to womenyourmotherwarnsyouabout.com. You won't see Susanna there quite yet, but I'm, I'm working on that. I'm a little bit behind. One of my things I'm working on the website and uh, find us on all the socials and of course, salesgravy.com. You can find both Susanna and I on that website. And hey, check out salesgravy.university. That is the place to be to take your sales game to the next level. So check that out. Thanks to Sales Gravy for sponsoring this podcast. We are so grateful to Jeb and Sales Gravy for that. But we got to go. So um, what is a good way to say goodbye to people in the UK? Like, is there a popular phrase? Well, my three-year-old was waving to us on this merry-ground the other day, and she went, farewell. Very <laughs> It was hilarious. Well, I'm going to say a goodbye. Doing your English accent. <laughs> and uh, farewell. <laughs> farewell. We're out of here. 
Okay. That was nice. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Great English accent, Gina. Great English accent. When do I get to do the American, the American impersonation? 